Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything so far, for all those who've been involved. Um, thank you. Been great. Um, strangely enough, I want to talk on tonight on the cross. Um, that's why I've entitled it. Uh, first, what I'm going to talk on with regard to the cross is the story of the prodigal son. Different take on it. Uh, so please bear with me. Um, hopefully it'll make sense as we go along. So, Anna, if we just do the reading from the prodigal son. Most of you know the story. I don't assume that you all do because uh, it's easy to make assumptions. But maybe most of us know it. Luke 15. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me my share of your estate? So the father went ahead and distributed between the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and travelled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing less left, he grew hungry because there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished he was willing even to eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realised what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They, they lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the younger son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could, I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick. Bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now the older son was out, working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. He called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. Well, the older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Come, 
Enjoy the feast with us. The son said, Father, listen. How many years have I worked like a slave for you? Performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son. And I've never once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends as this son of yours is doing. <laughs> Look at him. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are, throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to rejoice and celebrate like this because your brother was once dead and gone. But now he's alive with us again. He was lost, but now he's found. As I said when I started off, the title is The Cross. It says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, Jews look for a sign. The Jews want a sign. They always said to Jesus, Jesus, give us a sign and we will believe. That's what we want. Perform miracles, he performed miracles. We want another sign. Well, the Greeks or the Gentiles, they like logic. They like reasoning. They look for wisdom. It says, but we preach Christ. And we preach Christ crucified to the Jews foolishness but to those who are called it's the power and the wisdom of God we know from reading scripture Jesus predicted several times his death he knew when he was going to die he knew how it was going to happen he knew that he was going to be scourged he knew he was going to be whipped he knew that he was going to be crucified. And he would sell his disciples, the group of 12 Talmudim, they call it, his disciples, time and time again. The Son of Man will die. The Son of Man will be crucified. Mark 8, 31. Jesus said, look, I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests and scribes. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again. And Peter says, no chance. That's not going to happen. I won't Allow it to happen. Luke 9 verse 43. Jesus got again the 12. And he says let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. Mark 4, Mark 10, Luke 18. Heading towards Passover. Jesus time and time again said... I will be mocked, I will be scourged, I will be crucified and I will be risen again on the third day. But it said the disciples did not understand. What don't you understand about that? I know one of the famous things about Gordon folk, you know, Gordon folk thick in the arm and thick in the head, all that sort of stuff. But these are 12 disciples who maybe they weren't the most intelligent. But if somebody says, I'm going to die, that's a bit logic. That's a bit... I'm going to die. But he kept saying they didn't understand. And what they didn't understand was the fact if Jesus was the Messiah and everything that he did pointed towards that, in their mindset, the Messiah can't die. The Messiah has come to set us free from the Romans to reinstitute Israel. And they never grasped the fact 
that Jesus was going to have to die. Even John the Baptist, just speak to the day, there it is, a sunny day in the Middle East. And there's John the Baptist, and he has some disciples around him. Andrew was one of his disciples, and James, I think John and Peter. And there is Jesus at a distance. And John points and he says to the disciples, see him down there. That's the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Every self-respecting Jew knew the concept of the Lamb. They knew what it meant about a Lamb. They knew the understanding that a Lamb was sacrificed at Passover. And so when John said, that is the Lamb of God, and they still didn't get it. Anna, you put a picture up. And if you can see that, that's called the shadow of death by Holman Hunt, the one who did the famous one of um, the door. Jesus is the substance of the shadow of the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, much of that pointed to Jesus. It was a picture. It was a foreshadow. Mary, at the feet of her son, looks behind and sees his arms up as if he's on a cross. The Old Testament was full, was full of picture languages, typologies of who Jesus was going to be. The scapegoat, the Passover lamb. Isaiah 53, when we looked at the Mel Gibson film, that, hadn't, that didn't even touch what Jesus would have looked like. Isaiah 53 said he was beaten to a pulp beyond recognition. And so as we look at Jesus, we look at the cross. Jesus was the substance of the shadow of the Old Testament. He fulfilled it all. And yet, many of his disciples just didn't grasp it because they were looking for a different Messiah. And there's four things I want to bring quickly tonight about the cross. And the first one, Hannah. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's love. I don't know how you express your love. Gifts. Say it with flowers. Say it with chocolates, as they used to say. Will you give your last roll? I remember that years gone by. Will you give your last roll? No chance. <laughs> Forget that. I'll keep in my last roll, though. But that's, that's how they used to say, and, you know, give your last roll. That means you love somebody. There's five love languages. Somebody once said there are five love languages. We all either give or we like to receive. Mine is touch. I like to hold hands. I like to have a cuddle. So if anybody needs a cuddle after, I'm up for it any time because it's my love language. I need, I need that. For some reason, I, you know, I know I'm a big early man and all that but I love to be cuddled so you know please feel free Jen is not love language I have to put it right her love language because we had this discussion when we got married is when you when she wants you to talk she wants you to listen now most blokes are good we can nod and not listen I know when to nod I know when are you listening yes but Jen's love language is you've got to listen so I know there's times I'm watching the telly, he wants to say something, the telly's got to go off. It's got to go off. And I then give attention, because that is the love language. I'm going to go back to the story of the prodigal son. The elder brother is the firstborn. 
In Jewish language, the elder brother is called the firstborn. Okay. So in that story, you have the firstborn and the secondborn. Elder brother is the firstborn. The elder brother had responsibilities. As the firstborn, if you were the firstborn in the Middle Eastern country in the days of the Bible, you have responsibilities. The firstborn acts as if he is the father. Doesn't pretend to be the father. He has to take on the roles and the responsibility of the father. He's not just one of the sons of the father. He is acting as the father. Background to the story. You've got a Middle Eastern village. Not like Gornal, not like Wamba, not like Swindon where there's 1,200 people. Small community villages where everybody knows each other. Everybody is aware of everybody else's lifestyle. And what you do has an effect on the community. So if you bring disrespect to an outsider who comes into the community, it's as if the whole community feels the same. So if somebody comes to your house, can I have bread? No, no. Please can I have bread? No. They go off, the community has been put to shame. Not just the family, not just the individual, but the community, because how, that's how they worked. Now, we read the story. The younger brother said to his father, I want my inheritance. And for those who know the scriptures, to say to the father in Middle Eastern time, I want my inheritance means, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's what it means. And so the father gave the inheritance. He shared it out. And the younger brother clears off and goes away. Now, the firstborn should have. He should have gone and looked out of love for his brother, for his father, for the community. He should have gone, expressed his love by trying to find him. That's what his role would have been. It didn't matter where he went. It didn't matter what doors he would have to knock on. He'd have to go and said, because I love my father, because I love my brother, because I love my community, I will go and find my brother who has walked off. Even if he has to go to the dens of iniquity, whatever that may be, doesn't matter how low the brother had sunk, the firstborn would have to go and find. He would seek and save that which was lost. Over and above anything else that Jesus said and Jesus did, God's ultimate expression of love for us was the cross. You know, Jesus spoke many great things. There's many people who, who look at Jesus and say, he's a great man, what a great guy. Great things he did. But over and above what he said or did, the cross was the greatest example of his love. And Jesus was criticised because he was as if he was the firstborn. He came and he came wherever, wherever the need was. And the Pharisees would criticise him and say, you know, why are you messing with tax collectors and sinners, the low lives, the nobodies of this world? And Jesus would say, those are the ones who need salvation. Prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Some of us were like that. Lost without salvation, walking, we didn't have any hope outside of God. And one day God found us and called him to himself. And Jesus says this of himself, unlike 
the firstborn in the story, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. I want to ask a question tonight. Have any of you lost tonight? Any of you things? Well, I don't really understand this. I've heard it before, but I'm not really, I don't get it. Well, the Bible says that you are lost before God. But Jesus is the one who's come and has come to look and seek and save that which is lost because you're important to him. Jesus showed God's love by his teaching, but also by his actions. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He, he brought dead people back to the family and they thought, Jesus, wow, you're great. But the ultimate expression of God's love was that he died for you and for me. John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, this, this rabbi, he says, Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, and whoever looked at that serpent would live, he said, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever looks upon me will have eternal life. For a good man, some may die, the Bible says, but whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us as an expression of God's love. The second one, the cross, is the, ex- is, is the expression of the cost of God's love. Going back to the story, ancient Jewish tradition, the firstborn son would have double inheritance. So the two brothers there, the father shared the inheritance. One would have a third, the elder would have two thirds. And you think, well, that's, that's great for him. But actually he had two thirds, or the double, because he had the responsibility of the father. If there's a family dispute, it's down to the firstborn son to resolve it. Not necessarily the father. It was the firstborn son's job. If there was debts to be paid, it was the firstborn son at that double portion to pay the debts incurred by others. If it meant him being ostracised by the family, you've got two members in the family fighting, the firstborn couldn't stand back and ignore it. He had to get involved. And if that meant him being ostracised, so be it. The story of the prodigal son, the firstborn should have gone out of love to find his brother. But he didn't. He should have, out of his own expense, paid any debts that the brother incurred. But the Bible says he didn't do any of that. Scripture tells us that all of we, like sheep, have gone astray. That is biblical language. We're not farmers. But sheep just wander off. You let a sheep go, it'll just wander. It'll wander where they can find food. If it falls over into a ditch, it can't get back up. Sheep are foolish. And the Bible says that we're like sheep. Gone our own way. But the cross is the tangible expression of how much it cost God to redeem us back to himself. You know, I was making the bench for my mum today. Just a little bench just to put some plants on for Mother's Day. And I was struggling. And I thought, well, I'm going to throw this in the bin. And I thought, well, I'll persevere. But I, I nearly did. I thought, what am I wasting my time for? I might as well buy one. It's probably better. 
but it was out of heart of love. But it was hard, and I nearly did throw it away. But I thought, you know what, there's a cost there. It's from the heart. And so the firstborn should have gone and found the son and said, son, or brother, whatever you've done, I'll pay the debt. Because that's my job. Because I love you. Jesus was abused. We saw that earlier on. He abused beyond real Isaiah 53. And that will tell you how much he was abused. We see Jesus on the cross naked humiliated in front of so many other people, laughed at, and, and, but before he got to the cross, Pilate had him scourged. And before the cross was that little period of time that Jen mentioned earlier on in that reading, where 600 soldiers, they say between two and 600 soldiers took Jesus and they took him into the Praetorium. So they scourged him with a, a, an inch of his life. Crucifixion was around the corner, but they took him and they said, we'll have some fun. And I can just imagine, because it was Satan who wanted Jesus dead. If you read scripture, it was Satan who wanted Jesus dead. And I can just imagine in that praetorium with 200 men, demons would just turn up. They would just go on the back of soldiers and they would say, we've got the king of glory. We have nearly killed the king of glory, the son of God. We have him before us beaten and they would whisper, into the ears of the soldiers. Hit him harder. Hit him harder. Because I've often wondered, how can, we've all got a cruel streak, but to do that to somebody, it just doesn't work in my brain. So I can just imagine demons are just whispering. Just hit him. Isaiah 53, it said his beard was pulled out. Who's, I've got, I've got, Eyebrows to hurt when I pluck, well, I don't pluck them. Jen plucks them. <laughs> and she has to put anaesthetic on it because I, I cry like a girl. Forgive girls, you know. I mean, what? To have your beard plucked. But I can just imagine the demon saying, do it, do it. Bloodlust frenzy taking place. And one of the demons would have whispered into a soldier's ear, make a crown of thorns. Make a crown of thorns. Humiliate the Son of God. And as they ram the crown of thorns, they would have whispered to another soldier, make a scepter and hit him with it. Because that's what scripture says. And they would hit him and they would spit at his face. All this was demonically inspired because they believed they had the Lord of glory and that was going to kill him. Satan had already got Judas to betray Jesus. He got Peter to deny Jesus. And now... Had the disciples, they denounced Jesus. And here Jesus was, about to be killed. Isaiah 53 says, Jesus went to the cross knowing what he was going to go through and never even opened his mouth once. Why? Because he had to pay the price. You and I couldn't pay the price. We couldn't pay the price for our salvation. To get right with God. Somebody had to do it on our behalf. And the cross, which is the most barbaric form of punishment at the time, was the price God was willing to pay. That's to say how much he loved us. The cross is the expression of victorious love. The older brother, the firstborn, should have gone and looked for his brother. 
He should out of love said, I will pay whatever debt you've incurred. Whatever your debt is, I will pay it because it is my role and responsibility as a firstborn. And he should have brought back his brother to his father and said, Father, we reconciled again. Love has become victorious. But he never did it. The older brother, the firstborn, just stayed in the field. Let him go and rot, he probably thought. And so the story has a twist. The father went looking for the son. Imagine the village. And then you've got the gate of the village. And that's where the elders would hang around. And that's where decisions were made. That's where the, the young folk would stand. And the father would look day in, day out, just in case the son said, I want to come home. My older brother, my older son, has not gone and done what he should have done. Maybe, maybe he'll come back on his own. And it says from afar, he could see in the shimmering heat, his son. And what does he do? He runs to him. Only two other accounts, I think, in the Bible where a man would run. Because men don't run in the Middle East. I think one was Elijah, and I think one was Abraham. Men in the Middle East don't run. It's degrading. And so the father ran and he, he, he said to a servant, quick. And do you want to put the uh, picture on? He found a servant. And he said to the servant, quick. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on his back. Put his sandals on his feet. Reinstate him back to sonship. Why did the father run? Why did the father say, quick? The son's coming back. The local villagers see him before the father got to him. They would have a clay pot. As soon as they saw the son, they would smash the clay pot on the floor. I was going to do that, but I thought if I damage this, we're in trouble. Smash it on the pot and they'd say to the son, Kazazar. Kazazar means you're not welcome. You're dead to us. You have brought shame upon this village. You brought shame upon your father. You brought shame. You are now dead. You chose to live in sin in the Gentile land. That's where you're now going to go back. And they would smash the clay pot saying it's broken and he cannot be redeemed. And fancy that the young son having to spend the rest of his life wandering with the judgment of Kazazar hanging over him. He's not welcome anymore. That's why his father ran to him. That's why his father said, quick, put these things on him. Reinstate him to sonship. There's that debate, where was God when Jesus was crucified? Some say, oh, the father turned his face away. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Jesus says this, I and the father are one. I am in him and he is in me. And scripture says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He said the father did what the firstborn should have done. Jesus comes as the firstborn because he's the firstborn with the father to reconcile us to himself. Before the word kazazar can be said to us, you've got no chance. And we've been taught, I remember being taught many, many times, many years ago about God, an angry God. 
Jonathan Edwards, I've mentioned it before, famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And then this picture of, there's Jesus on the cross, and there's God angry, and Jesus is trying, he said, lads, I'm doing my best, I'm holding his anger back. That's what I've, I've been taught there in the past. But we know that's not the truth. We know that in one hand on the cross, he took his father, and in his other hand, he took us, and he reconciled us to himself. The cross, to many people, is a sign of defeat. But the cross was a sign of victory. When the Romans wanted to quell riots, they would crucify people. Spartacus, famous Spartacus, the insurrection, trying to shake off the shackles of the Romans. Him and hundreds, when they were defeated, they were crucified to show to people that is what will happen. Crucifixion is a sign of defeat. And yet for Jesus, it was a sign of victorious love. And then I finish on this one. The cross is the expression of enduring love. You know, some people say, you know, I'm too bad. I'm too bad to be saved. Well, yes, you are. As so am I. But God's love is greater than our badness. Of ourselves, we have nothing good within us. Well, I'm a good person. I'm okay. I I was good as a kid growing up. I was always reliable. A couple of bad things I did, but in the scheme of things, I was okay. When I worked in the police, you know, a burglar was seen as a low life. But he said, but I wasn't, I'm not a child molester. And even in the criminal fraternity, there is degrees of, well, I'm better than him, and I'm not him. But, you know, there's some people who go, I'm too bad to be loved by God. Or they'll even look at the world around us and say, look at the state the world's in. How can there be a God of love if the world is like it is? And go look at me. I'm beyond love being loved. The story of the prodigal son. He, and I said it, should have gone and done what was the right thing, but he didn't, because he didn't love his brother. The Bible says that God loves us. Not loved as in in the past, but loves as in the present. And the testimony of so many people today have said, you know what, the cross that happened 2,000 years ago, it's still effective for today. The blood that Jesus shared 2,000 years ago is still as effective today as it was then. So many Christians or people have found Christ as their saviour and, and things that they did they've been set free from. Sins that they knew, the things I've done and they've known the forgiveness of God. Not assuming, but they just know. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died. But the cross is the expression of enduring love because God still loves the world today. Doesn't matter what you've done, he still loves the world and the cross is still as effective today as it was then. But for some people, they've relegated to the cross. 
to history books. That's all it is. It's a history. But now the cross is still as powerful. But the cross demands a decision. Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin. We were separated from the Father. We were destined to an eternity in hell. And God could have said, well, it's your own fault. Cheery bye. Enjoy yourself. Not my problem. But the Bible says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but can have everlasting life. And imagine yourself that you are the firstborn in that story. And you find your brother in the pit of despair or wherever he was. And you say, brother of mine, I've paid your debts. There's no one going to come for you. There's no one going to say, you owe because I've paid every debt. Come home. And the brother could turn around and say, you know what, chap? I'm happy where I am, thank you. But I've paid your debts. There's no more. Father wants you home. He's looking for you. He's longing for you. Your debt's paid. The village, they're welcoming you back because the price has been paid. And he says, no, I'm happy where I am, thanks. You see, that's what's happening today. God still offers forgiveness and he still offers eternal life. He still offers everything because the price has been paid you have you got to accept it or say no because God's love is an expression of enduring love the opportunity of saying yes to God is not going to go on forever God's love will always go on forever but this side of eternity wherever your time on this earth is up this is the day of salvation. It's going to be too late otherwise. And the story finishes, I finish, where the, the son did come home and the father threw some crazy party. And the Bible says that there'll be a time, a time when all believers will be in heaven in glory and there's going to be a party. But only those who accept Jesus only those who said, Lord, I accept it. Not because you're good enough. Not because, well, I've tried my best. You know what? If, if you could try your best, then Jesus' death was a waste of time. Jesus died because you couldn't do your best. But I finish by saying this. You know, God offers you and me salvation. But it's a choice to accept or reject. The price is paid. It's down to you to say yes or to say no. Just, just close our eyes for a minute, if you, if we, if you don't mind. Um, just close our eyes, and, um, and clearly, it's obviously the gospel message that you know God longs to bring us back to Himself. And probably, who knows? Maybe most of us here know Jesus as our own Savior. And we can say what happened two thousand years ago is effective for today because we know the truth. But the Bible says God desires that no man should perish, but if you perish, it's your choice, not God's. And I'm just going to close in a prayer. 
before we have the last hymn. And if you think, yeah, I want to make that decision to follow Jesus, just say this prayer quietly to yourself. And then come and see me or Jen after and we'll show you, share a bit more. So, Father, I just want to thank you that Jesus, your son, died for me. Like the disciples, I don't fully understand it. But yet I know in my heart that I'm far from you. And I want to come home. Thank you that Jesus paid the ultimate price. His own life. To get me right with you. And so Father I say. I surrender my life to you. Come by your Holy Spirit. And live within me. Forgive me of all my sins and make me a new person. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Appreciate uh, 